Hi, thanks for listening to our sermon podcast, Second on the Mount. I'm George Anderson, minister at Second Presbyterian in Roanoke, Virginia. I do not take it for granted that people sit in the pews on Sunday morning or listen to these podcasts hoping to hear something that connects them to God, to each other, to the world. And so I spend hours seeking the right word for the right time and said in the right way. I welcome your feedback. I encourage your sharing this sermon with anyone it might benefit. And I hope you'll return to this podcast again or come visit us for worship. We'd be happy to have you. Let's pray. Holy God, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts be acceptable in your sight. O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Hear these words from the letter that Paul wrote the church in Philippi. Do all things without murmuring and arguing, so that you may be blameless and innocent, children of God without blemish in the midst of a crooked and perverse generation in which you shine like stars in the world, holding forth the word of life so that I can boast on the day of Christ that I did not run in vain or labor in vain. But even if I am being poured out as a libation over the sacrifice and service of your faith, I rejoice. And I rejoice together with all of you. In the same way, also, you should rejoice and rejoice together with me. The word of the Lord. I first began to explore the internet in the late 1990s. That was back in the day when you had to look at a paper map to get directions when almost every gas station had at least one payphone outside, when being on call meant wearing a pager, when you had a landline, not a cell phone, and when I could play basketball for hours but had to save up to buy the coats and ties I wore to work every single day. Back in that day. I would log on to the internet using AOL, which I could only do from home. I would listen to the beeps, buzzes, and static as I got connected, and then I was on. And all the while that I was on, I was tying up our landline. In other words, while I was on AOL, unless I was responding to emails or reading an important article that would make me a better preacher or a wise theologian, I did it with guilt. For while I was exploring anything for my own personal enjoyment or interest, Briarwood Presbyterian Church members could not call their pastor, my wife could not call her husband, or if she was home, she could not call her mother, and my children's friends could not call them to ask them to come out to play. Now, because I was unavailable by phone and even created this barrier with the community, and I was staring at a computer screen, I was sort of isolated, only I was sort of not isolated. For while I was on AOL, I had these communities I could be a part of. I could make posts. I could even create or join a chat room to visit with others. And what drew me and others into these communities were always pretty much a single special interest, cooking, politics, dating, hobbies, or being a fan of a sports team. 
or maybe more specifically, being a fan of the University of North Carolina men's basketball sports team. It won't surprise those of you who have known me for a while that I got myself into one of those communities and stayed in it for a couple of decades. So maybe while a member was trying to call me to ask why I wasn't at a meeting, or while my wife was trying to call me to tell me to put something in the oven or we wouldn't have anything to eat that evening, I would be reading about Vince Carter's amazing dunk or commenting on how quickly Antoine Jamison could get off his feet, or I'd have to read how some thought Dante Calabria was cute. Now, some in that group knew each other already because they lived in the research triangle and had other reasons to connect, but not me. It was years before I met any one of them in person. Still, it felt like I got to know them well, despite the fact that most of what we talked about was Carolina basketball. Elizabeth Edwards was a member of that group. She was the first person I met in person. She accompanied her then-husband John to the Roanoke Civic Center while he was campaigning as a vice president candidate. I had moved to Roanoke by that time, and this was an opportunity for us to finally meet face-to-face. And because they were to quickly leave for another event, she suggested that I find the campaign bus in the parking lot and wait for her to come out and we could say hi and, and speak a little bit. I did that. When I saw her come out, Surrounded by her entourage, I called out her name and said who I was, and she immediately called for me to come over. A Secret Service agent did not like that at all (laughs) and told her it was not a good idea. She said, it's okay. This is George Anderson, a friend I haven't had a chance to meet. (laughs) A friend you haven't met, the agent asked. This is not okay. I was embarrassed. Elizabeth lobbied a bit more, so they arranged for me to be escorted over to have a brief exchange. But it hadn't dawned on me before, but that Secret Service agent was exactly right. It was not okay. Now, I will say that our online friendship deepened a bit as Elizabeth later leaned on the group while going through a husband's public scandal, a death of a son, then a divorce, and her fight with cancer. God rest her soul. But let's go back to when the only significant tie that I had with Elizabeth and everyone else in that group was one shared interest. Those relationships that I had are an example of what Mark Dunkelman calls outer ring relationships. Dunkelman wrote a book called The Vanishing Neighbor, a book introduced to me by my good friend Tom R. Jr. Dunkelman says that for most American history, Especially in small towns and rural settings, communities were formed with rings. There are these inner rings of those with whom you have an intimate and immediate connection, close family, close friends. There are the outer rings of those with whom you have a single or temporary connection, like being a fan of a certain basketball team. Or it could be with a barista. Who knows that you're going to order a latte as soon as you walk in the door? Or the dermatologist you regularly see, but only for checkups and treatments? Or the people you go through at work to get something ordered? In between those inner and outer rings are what Dunkelman calls middle rings. Those are the relationships that you develop with those 
that you have calls now to see on a fairly frequent basis, which compels you to develop connections with them because of a shared interest, because of a call, because you're in this space together. They are those you would not have had a chance to get to know, except that they live on your street and you happen to be one of those neighborhoods where people actually get out and talk to each other, or they belong to the same civic organization, or they have a child in your child's class or on your child's team, or they go to the same church or synagogue, maybe even attend the same Sunday school class. What is significant and unusual about these middle ring folks, my friend Tom says, and talking about Dunkelman, is that there's a reason that you are not best friends with most of them. You don't, you're not that much alike. However, life has put you in contact enough that you learn to appreciate or at least tolerate your differences. And with a little patience and with a little work, you learn to get along. It is these middle ring relationships that form strong communities, Duncanman says, that made our country just intrinsically strong, and which open up possibilities for growth and to get things done that would otherwise not get done. So, inner ring relationships of intimates, outer ring relationships that exist primarily because of one reason or interest, middle ring relationships that form devotions that otherwise would have no reason to exist. I want to pause here and talk about Paul in his letters a little bit to make a point about these rings of relationships. You and I right now are considering his letter that he wrote to the church in Philippi. Now, if you joined a Bible study or took a class or found a community online, a chat room maybe, to study Philippians, and let's say this is the only reason you know the others who join you, you would be in one of these outer ring communities. But you would be studying a letter to a middle ring community. Paul's letter is written to a community that might have within it, well, did have within it, friends and family, interconnection stuff, and might have drawn in folks from outer rings because of a single interest or cause. But the overall community is this diverse collection of people with many differences. And they are a community that now shares meals together does business with each other, debates how to live under Roman rules. Some of them are Roman citizens and are happy about it. Some of them are not Roman citizens and either want to be or think no one should be. And they have to join together and help the needs of people in their midst who are in trouble and they study their own scriptures. And they are a community that sometimes fusses because they do not agree on everything. Every single letter we have that Paul wrote or was written in Paul's name, including his letter to the Philippian church, of which he seems to have this great reservoir of affection, he writes at least in part to respond to disagreements among them, wanting to encourage their remaining united to stick it through, to stay with each other in their shared devotion to Christ. Get it? I can be part of an outer ring community that studies Philippians, but the church to whom the letter was written was a middle ring community of diverse people who had a life together and in a way changed the world because they did. Back to America. 
Dunkelman says that in America, more than in England, we develop these middle ring communities from colonial towns to farm communities, and then even in cities, there evolved these means for people to interact on a regular basis with people they would not necessarily choose as friends. And there evolved these social means by which people who were not alike and did not always agree got to know each other and even like each other. Now, sure, there have been serious American divisions of class, race, religion, and culture, but even within communities divided from each other, there developed these social clubs and schools and their PTAs, civic organizations, neighborhood associations, faith communities, and the like that provided a means by which people would have a chance to get to know folks they would not otherwise have a reason to know. Blue and white-collar workers, people of different political parties and persuasions and faith communities would have these opportunities to enjoy something together, work on something together. Maybe they spent a lot of time together because their children or grandchildren became friends at school, compete on the same team, or dance in the same recitals, but they were given this challenge and gift of forming bonds with people who see the world differently. Johnny Wheelwright provides a good description of what these American middle spaces are like. He is Owen Meany's best friend in the novel Prayer for Owen Meany. He developed a friendship with Owen, who was stunted in his growth and had an abnormally loud voice. And maybe he would have avoided Owen if he could, except that his school and small town did not provide that option. And because Owen becomes such a good friend, he came to realize how lucky he was to live in a place that makes people figure each other out. He says, I suddenly realized what small towns are. There are places where you can grow up with the peculiar. You live next to the strange and the unlikely for so long that everything and everyone becomes commonplace. But something has changed of late in America. Dunkelman says that we are developing relationships differently. We are giving more time and attention to the communities of the outer rings. There are various reasons that this is happening. It has been accelerated during the pandemic, but Dunkelman says the biggest reason is social media. Folks doing what I did when I found an online community that roots for the Tar Heels. Social media serves many good purposes. Friendships grow from it. But it does create this opportunity to develop relationships with, allegiances to, stronger bonds with, even devotion to people with whom you have only one real connection. A shared passion for a political or social cause, for instance, can so pull you toward those with whom you agree that you start to neglect the needed soul work of being patient with and working to understand those who see things differently. It even happens that one can start to feel intimate with and have a devotion to folks in the, an outer ring community, a devotion that usually or used to be reserved only for family and close friends. Now, the world's always changing. 
And this building of outerring communities can be good. Like I said, genuine friendships can result. We get this information fast. It's not always the right information, but we can get it fast. But there's a problem when these outerring communities start to replace middle ring communities and divide inner ring communities, split friendships, family. The glory of the middle ring communities is that they keep us rubbing elbows with folks who don't see the world the way we do and forces us to see the reasonableness of views that we don't share and the humanity of people that are different from us. Because when we spend all our time with people who think, talk, and act like we do, we begin to fool ourselves into thinking that all reasonable people think, act, and talk like we do. Let's go back to Philippi. Don't for a second believe that this early church or any other early church, such as the ones in Corinth, Macedonia, Galatia, or Rome, is some sort of idyllic community where all are on the same page and they all think and treat each other or behave in the world the same. No, there are in Philippi some Jews keeping kosher customs, but even more Greeks who could care less about eating pork or being circumcised. There are men who are leaders, of course, and odd for the times, women who are leaders. And because Philippi is a port city, there are folks in this community who come from all over the Roman world, bringing with them their different customs and ways of looking at things. And Paul started this community. He loves this community, and he writes this community from prison. He wants to assure them that his imprisonment is for the cause of the gospel and not to lose heart because of what has happened to him. He also expresses his joy that this is a community that has remained strong in their devotion to each other. He doesn't make comparisons with Corinth, but if he did, he would tell them that they've done a better job of remaining united despite their differences. But there is enough disagreement, enough tension, that he also wants to encourage them to keep it up. It's the main reason he writes a letter. Make my joy complete, he says, by being of the same mind, having the same love. Count others who are different from you greater than you. Look, each of you, not to what you are mainly interested in, but look at what drives others in their lives, what keeps them up at night. Bridge the distance between each other, just as Jesus did when he bridged the distance with us, when he did not think equality with God as enough but gave himself to us so that he could join us fully in the challenges and joys of being human. And he closes the book by reminding the church to focus on what is true, honorable, just, pure, pleasing, and commendable, saying that by doing so, they'll find peace. His whole letter goes back to what I read in our scripture lesson. Do things without murmuring and arguing Shine like stars in your witness to give calls for what we all need in this crooked and perverse time, and that is calls to rejoice. People say this is his most warm letter. It's a letter that he kind of writes with his heart on his sleeves because he knows that the world needs faith communities like this Philippian community to be a force of reconciliation and peace in what he sees as very difficult times. 
And I preach this sermon to you sort of with my heart on my robe's sleeve because I think our world today needs faith communities like this one more than ever. I say that because I feel and sense what Duckelman talks about, that there has been an erosion of these middle ring communities in our society that were formed to bind us rather than reinforce what divides us. Communities that bind us rather than reinforce what divides us. Weakened are those community organizations, the civic organizations and neighborhood groups that use meals and projects and times of fellowship to make sure that people are spending time with each other, that they're interacting and cooperating in ways that they would not otherwise have done if they had not been pulled in together. And meanwhile, outer ring communities that are formed on some single issue or cause are growing strong and winning the kind of loyalty and devotion that normally is given to close friends and family members. Ever-radicalized political and social allegiances are even dividing family and ending friendships. But praise Jesus, here I stand in the pulpit of second Presbyterian Church. I am looking at people who perhaps are more and more coming back to in-person worship after being apart during a pandemic that helped fuel these cultural divides while people related to others primarily through a screen. I am looking at a faith community that did remarkably well during that time. You kept this church going you rose to the challenge of meeting needs in the community and even finished an amazing campaign for missions. But I'm with Paul in saying to this community that I love, that has done so well to hold together and make a witness to the gospel, that we need to be intentional and purposeful and committed to showing up, being a part of it, to protect this metal ring community. It takes some work, more work sometimes than being in relationship with friends and family intimates we love, more work certainly than feeling comfortable with those with whom we share an interest or cause. If you're a member, I want to encourage you to keep showing up, to put in the time, to remain accountable to this middle ring community of faith that wants to join our perspectives and gifts together to demonstrate to the world what can bring peace. And if you are a visitor, I want to encourage you to join us or find a faith community that hasn't been taken over by some outer ring interest or cause. I'm passionate about this. Because so much of what is good in my life has been made possible by people who were given to me as gifts that I did not seek out. Given to me just because I was raised in a church. Given to me just because I was called here to be a minister. How in the world would I have ever developed a friendship with someone like Bob Williams, an IT God who roots for Ohio State, and lives in a neighborhood that everyone drives past unless they want to visit someone who lives there, except that he was in a class with me and that we worked together on mission trips. How would I have gotten to know Degra Nofsinger, who has led us in helping families in crisis, 
or Helen Deed, who keeps me connected to Presbytery when I might want to escape to an outer ring community, or Dick Bainton, who told jokes that made me groan, but made so many of you feel welcome here at this church. Now, not all communities open minds and hearts like this one and calls folks who are different and disagree to share pews, but I give thanks for those like this one that do. There are many secondary reasons for why we exist. I mean, we got stuff to teach. We want to provide an opportunity to develop friendships. We need to get some good stuff done. But let's never forget the primary reasons why we are here, beginning with our being a body of Christ that in its life and witness demonstrates the holy work of reconciliation between those of different minds and gifts and causes and thus being a force of reconciliation in this world. Second Presbyterian, finding direction by following Jesus.